So at the beginning, I want to give you a grammar lesson. What is work? And we've got the definition of work right there at the top. It's activity involved in mental or physical effort done in order to, to achieve a purpose or result. So when I say work, I don't just mean your job, right? I mean any physical activity that you do in your life. When you exert force onto something you do. I just want to give you two Greek words that's in there. It's not the only two that are there for work. But these two words have absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. I just want you to know two Greek words for work. The first one is erogatis. It's a noun referring to a worker or a doer, right? That is us. We are ergates. And what we do is ergazomai. And if anybody can speak Greek, just you can judge me later. But that means to work, to do something. So as the ergates, we do ergazomai. So as you think about work... You may have a mindset of what you feel like about work. If you've got a difficult job, you probably got a pretty bad opinion of what you think about work. It's hard to get up every day. You know, maybe you don't love your job the way that I do. Right, Hannah? But maybe you've got a bad opinion about work. Maybe you've got a bad opinion about what God wants us to do when He says, go do good works. Because if you do them too much, right, then you get caught up in the law, what you'd call the law, and you tend to live like a Pharisee. It's not all about just the works that we do or the law that we live or the way that we live, right? So you could have a bad opinion. And I'm here to tell you, work is not a bad thing. Work is not a bad thing. Whether that's our job that we have, that we, you know, put food on our table, pay our bills, all of those other things, or whether it's the works that God has called us to do, it doesn't matter. It, it's not a bad thing. Matter of fact, God has, has put us on earth to work. To work. Look at it in Genesis chapter 2, 15. It's the first time we see a human... You don't necessarily have to turn there. I've got, I'm going to have these next few are going to just be short, quick points. If you want to go ahead and open, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. We will actually look at, at that scripture later. I will have some, some more scripture, right? But it says, The Lord took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. His goal for Adam was to work the Garden of Eden, to tend to the animals, to tend to the trees. We also see that it was to have a relationship with Him and walk with God and talk with Him daily. And that's the other side of this that I want to point out. In Psalms chapter 104, I've got one verse up there, number 23, but I want to read you a few more that that lead up to it. It says, He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make the darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. 
And then in verse 23, it says, Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. You see, I I read those other verses because every part of creation has a purpose and has a plan. And God has set it in motion. The sun, although I don't know that it would be able to tell you it knows when it's setting, it goes up and it comes down every day. And the moon is set out there in the darkness and the animals, they, they know what they're put on earth to do. Guess what? We're here to work. Man goes out to his work and his labor until evening. Proverbs 6 gives us a picture of it. In verse 6 it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Man, y'all ever stepped on an ant pile? How fast do they get it rebuilt? It's like I turn around and the ant pile is back to where it was before I stepped on it. Exodus chapter 20 verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. And then as you continue to to read in Exodus, it tells you also the seventh day, what do you do? You rest, right? Right? But six days, man, I hope I don't have to work six days a week, every week. Romans 2 verse 6 says, He will render to each one according to his works. And the last thing that I have that tells you that work is not a bad thing is Ruth found her husband through work. Right? She sees this man and she goes to her mother-in-law and she's like, hey, what do I need to do? And she says, you go to that field every day and you glean from those sheaves, right? You, You get the food from that field. And what happens later? Well, we won't go into that part of the story, but... But it's not a bad thing. Work is not a bad thing. God has set us on this earth to work. But specifically, He set us to do His work. So at what point, and we're going to come through this over and over again, at what point in your life do you cross the line and turn work into a bad thing? And this is the part where it's to David more than it is to anybody else. But at what point... Have you crossed the line? So my question is, is why are you working so hard? So in Luke chapter 20, or in chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And we see there that a lawyer comes up to him and he puts him to a test. And he says, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this lawyer, he's not necessarily really wanting to know. He's just trying to trick Jesus into saying something that he can hold over his head later. But regardless, we see it there. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. See, the lawyer, he knew what the law said. He knew what the Bible's teaching, the Bible that he had at the time, he knew what it said to do. You see in the next few verses, the lawyer comes back and he says, Well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into a parable that probably many people know. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to read it verbatim. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him about a man who's traveling and he gets beat up by a group of robbers and left to die in the ditch. And a priest comes along. Man, the priest is definitely going to help him, right? The priest is. What's he do? When he saw him. It says when he saw him. It's not like, hey man, I was going so fast, I didn't even notice the guy. It says when he saw him, he passed on the other side of the road. Why would he not stop and help him? Oh, I got somebody I got to go talk to. I got to get to the church service because I got to preach. I got to go offer the blood sacrifice for everybody to atone for their sin. Who knows what was going on? His wife had dinner at five o'clock. He had to get there because it was on the table and it was going to get cold. But it says when he saw him, he passed by. The priest passed him. Then a Levite comes by. And it says it again. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A Levite is a child of God. He was one of the tribes of Israel. If anybody's going to help, one of the Israelite children's going to help, right? They follow Christ. They follow God. They follow Yahweh. And then lastly, we see a Samaritan. Somebody who should hate this man in the ditch. Somebody who probably does hate this man in the ditch until he sees someone in need. And what does it say that, he, that when he saw him? It says he had compassion. He loved him. He's seen a brother in need. He's seen an enemy in need. And he said, I need to help this man. And he does. And he helps him out of the ditch. And he pays for his hospital services. And he, he does all this stuff for him. I mean, just above and beyond. He doesn't just check on him, you know, and call the ambulance and tell him, oh, I got a guy in a ditch. Come get him. No, he stays with him. He makes sure that he's good. And then he tells the innkeeper that he takes him to, you take care of him and then you let me know if anything goes wrong. A man that should have hated this guy. So which of the three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? Was it his fellow family members out of the tribes of Israel? Was it his priest? No, it's, it's his enemy. It's the man who showed him love. And the lawyer responds, he says, the one who showed him mercy... And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You see, we are called, no matter what profession we're in, no matter how hard things are, no matter how busy we get, if we lose 
the compassion that God has for people, you have crossed the line. You cross the line when you lose God's heart for other people. Follow on in Luke chapter 10. And I think it's, I don't know that I noticed this until I read it. Jesus tells us the parable about people who are too busy to help somebody. And they're working too hard to do what God has called them to do. And then we see him travel to two ladies' house. House. Two ladies' house. Their home. Mary and Martha. And when he gets there, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And right here, focus on this one. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, what the heck are you letting Mary do all the work? I mean, not do any work for Right? That, that's what she said, definitely. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I got all these dishes and this laundry. And it's hard on my job and you don't understand, Lord. I'm too busy to help somebody else. And the Lord answered her, he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary sat down at Christ's feet. And worshipped Him and learned from Him and listened to Him as He poured Himself into her. And Martha was too busy. She didn't even recognize who was in her house. So you've crossed the line when you lose God's heart for people. And you've crossed the line when you lose your heart for God. And I got one more point that will come up out of this Matthew chapter 6. It says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will He not more, much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or where, how am I going to pay that next bill, or what, what's going to happen with my kids, or I've got to get to the next meeting, or when you've got somebody who needs you. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And hold on to this one. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
You cross the line when you stop trusting God. On a day-to-day basis, when you try to lay out your own plans, and you say, God, this is, this is the plan that I want to do. This is the things that I want to do. And this is, this is what I'm going to do to get there. And God, I, I got to work a little more. And I got to do a little more. And I got, I got to be here, God. And He's saying, hey, just sit down and worship me a little bit today. Hey, when's the last time you opened up my word and let me pour into you? When's the last time you listened to me and just just turned on a little worship song and played it over and over and over again? When's the last time you let me love you and you loved me back? You cross the line when you lose God's heart for people. You cross the line when you lose your heart for God. And you cross the line when you stop trusting Him. This message has been at least two years in the making because I have done every single one of these things. I have not been able to shut off my next decision. I have not been able to shut off. And people have not heard and felt God's compassion through me because of it. People on my job who've lost loved ones People who just need a little help financially when I've been more than blessed. Who just need some support. And I've been too busy, too caught up in the next thing for David. Too caught up in what's going to be my next move or what's going to happen with me next. That I hadn't Feel the pulpit when I know that that's what God has called me to do. And a couple years ago or a year ago or however long ago it was, I ran across this illustration. And it's a, it's a machine that um, there, there's a couple there. It's a man and a woman. I don't know which name is which. But, but they. this is an art exhibit in the Guggenheim Museum in France, or it was in the Guggenheim Museum. It's now been taken down. But from 2016 to 2019, this machine was there. And I want to show you a short clip. But the goal of the machine is to sense when that red liquid gets out too far away from it. And there's squeegees on the end of that, that machine, and it'll go in and it'll sweep it back. Right, So it'll pull this liquid back and get it close to it. And, and that's all it does. Its goal is to just keep this liquid cleaned up. As close to it as it can get. As close to the base. So show the video and, and um, I just want everybody to watch it. Yeah, no, that's good.
And so, when I ran across that, it, it hit me. That as you watch that machine do its movements, and I'm pretty sure it's got better dance moves than I do, but you see it sweeping that liquid, and it's pulling that liquid back into itself. And as it, and it, as it grabs on this left side, it sweeps the liquid, and what's, what happens to that liquid? It goes over to the right. And then it goes and it, and it sweeps over here on the right side, and it pulls that liquid back in, and what's happened by the time it gets done? The left side has come back out over here. And so that machine is going to continuously stay in this loop of trying to get that floor clean. And it's never going to work. It's never going to finish what it's supposed to have done. And as I watched that video, I said to myself, that's you. The more you come over here and you come to the left side and you try to do more work and you try to get to work earlier and stay later, you're just sweeping your problems over here to the right side. And then, and then you see that this is a mess and you go over here and you go, oh, I've I got to do some sweeping over in this area and it, maybe if I, I just come in and stay later and do more and do more and do more. Then, then maybe I can make it work. And God's just going, David, stop. Because I just want you to worship me. I just want you to serve me. Because the people that are on your job over here on this left side, they need your heart to be pointed to me so that it, I can point to them. And your family that's over here on the right side, while you're over there sweeping, they're dying. And they need you. They just need you to be home. They need you to stop going to work so early and coming home so late. Because what's that verse say in Matthew? Tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. I just want you to serve me. I want you to go to work. I want to provide for you. I want to give you the desires of your heart. I want to bless you. But when we cross that line, we just work like that machine. And we're just going to be spinning and sweeping and moving to the next thing and, and we will never stop. And that doesn't mean that you can only work eight hours a day or you can only work ten hours a day or you can only work twelve. What it means is, is that you better have your heart towards God. That way, wherever you're at, God gets spread. A couple more slides and then I'm going to finish and that, that's it. But... There's this whole excerpt I read about a workaholic. I won't read you the whole thing because I've went too long. But right here on this next one, there's some specific points that I want to read to you. It says, He or she who understands love and who feels understood feels loved. 
And, and what this, this whole excerpt is pointing to is the reason we become workaholics and the reason we work too much is because we're just trying to feel understood. And we're taking one addiction and we're passing it off and saying, it's okay because I'm just working. I'm not, I'm not drinking anymore. And I'm not doing something else that I shouldn't be doing. I'm not running the streets anymore. But you know what? It's just as bad. It's just as bad when you're not serving God the way that you're supposed to be serving Him. It says vulnerability, receptivity, nurturance, and the willingness to accept failure must replace being right, approval, and success. Workaholics must give up their need for control and power. Who's got the control and power? God does. And when we say that we're going to continue to try to do it on our own, what we're telling God is that He doesn't have the control and the power in our life. He's not big enough to do it for us. He's not strong enough to handle it. He's not right enough to do it the right way. And that isn't the God that's described in my Bible. I know I live it. But that's, that's not the way he's described to me. Addiction by replacing an old addiction with a new one of work. That's a problem. You see, followers of Christ, we must give up our need for control and power. We must work hard to show others Christ's love for them. And when we seek his kingdom first... He'll take care of the rest. As we come to worship, I want you to think about where are you at? Are you open enough to listen to God and say, God, you know what? I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on my relationship with you because I know that's what you've called me to do. And then that way, as I do that, I can do good works for you. I can show others the compassion that you have for me. Let's pray. And then Stephen will sing and you can... I'm pretty laid back. It's a Wednesday night. You can come down to the altar. You can stay in your seat. going to let Stephen and Stephen direct us once we get done. But you know where you stand. You know what you need to do. You know how you fit into this place. Are, you, are we going to be like the priests and see somebody in need and walk on by because we're too busy? Or are we going to start doing what God has called us to do? God, I thank you so much. God, I thank you for the people in my life who looked at me and seen somebody in need and said, I'm going to go help that man. And God, I'm sorry for all the people that I've walked past because I was too busy or I didn't want to deal with it in that moment. Or, God, please forgive me for that. And I pray that as you bring me opportunities in the future to show others your compassion, to show others your love, that I follow through, God, and I follow through with joy and I follow through with excitement and I show them the love that you've given me 
And God, it just exudes naturally. God, I thank you for your mercy.